Well, I've been walking around in the auditorium and uh, my shoe has broken. And I've also been spending the whole morning trying to print my, um, my talk and that's not worked either. So clearly it's going to be a good morning. Uh, well, day 647 since the pandemic began. I've sung happy birthday to my hands about three million times. But here we are. I'm really pleased to have been given another opportunity to speak to you guys and uh, share a little bit of what I think God is saying to us right now. Not really sure what James was thinking, inviting me to speak again, but not for me to worry about too much. So this morning, I want to ask a question that I think most of us must have asked at some point in our lives, and in particular since the beginning of the pandemic for us in March, and that question is, what do we do when God feels absent? What do we do when God feels absent? And I'm not sure about you guys, but certainly for me, I've been experiencing a kind of fatigue. And I'm not referencing any medical conditions. I'm not saying that I've been staying up too late watching TV, although I have been watching TV a lot recently. But I think that for many of us, this whole period of lockdown has been extremely draining. A few weeks ago, Becky Stevens spoke about mental health, and it's a really open, honest, and beautiful message. So please go back and listen if you've, um, if you've not done that yet, or listen again by all means. And in that sermon, Becky spoke of her own experiences with her mental health and anxiety. And I think that for many of us, myself included, definitely we all leveled with, with her on that. Lots of us have struggled with our mental health throughout our lives, and this pandemic has absolutely been a time of great darkness, sorrow, and grief. And I'm really sorry to say that just because you may be watching this and you may be a Christian, you're not exempt from trauma and pain. So about 18 months ago, uh, I started experiencing symptoms of anxiety. I never went to the doctors, but I started to notice that I just wasn't myself for some reason. I've always been a confident and quite assured person and I've always felt at home surrounded by people, especially at church. That's always felt like my home. But then I noticed some changes. There were some times at work and in church when I needed to just leave and get some air outside. And this wasn't because it was too hot or anything like that. I just needed to get out. And this often happened during worship and I would just need to get out of the building. And it happened more frequently and it became more and more frustrating and upsetting and then I noticed it happen a lot at New Wine last year and I would really struggle to stay in the main meetings even though we sat at the very back away from everyone with tons of space and um, a door right next to us I just couldn't couldn't focus then last September at a meeting here in the church I had what I'm now sure was um, was a panic attack I had to leave the room right in the middle of a meeting and go outside. I was trembling. Um, I couldn't breathe properly. My heart rate was, was all over the place. I was really fearful. And um, that was a turning point for me. I just knew I had to sort something out. I thought this needs to, I need to, to face this. So I had a lot of prayer from people, which was really fantastic. And um, I've also lost some weight, which has really helped my self-esteem. Uh, it's been a real journey for me, and I've been able to label it now and understand where my anxiety comes from, but it has meant that I have struggled quite a lot through this pandemic. It's been quite difficult. 
I've had moments of great anxiety and stress, and my wife Rachel has been a source of great strength for me throughout these days. She's really helped me to change my perspective when um, I've been focusing on the wrong things or worrying too much. You know, whenever I've taken my eyes off of hope, she's been there to steer me back towards God. And I have at times experienced depression and I've struggled to shift that depression even when I then give it to God. So maybe some of you have experienced similar things. Some of you may have unfortunately lost jobs or businesses. But for many of us, however, this time has been difficult for lots of other reasons. The loss of normal has been tough. However, I'm not too bothered that I can now go into a shop wearing my mask, of course. And I also do not really care that I can eat in a restaurant or stay overnight in a hotel. What I miss dearly, however, is being in this building and worshipping with people in person, giving God corporate praise and, and worship. It's, been, it's left a giant hole in my, in my life and I found it really difficult to try and celebrate the freedom that we're now gaining back when the one freedom I want back isn't here yet. But I must take this opportunity, however, to thank the technical team. So I point to the back as if you know what that means. Um, uh, yeah, absolutely. We've been able to do this and meet for virtual church every week. So huge thanks to Rue Machel, to Jeff House, to James Lawton, to Neil Sabine and to Ollie O'Neill for providing us with this amazing service during this time. I really would have been lost without it. Um, you know, imagine if this would have happened 20 years ago. We just wouldn't have been able to do any of this. Um, thank you also to Liz Machel and the kids team for providing some really amazing kids work um, over Zoom and on Facebook and YouTube. It's been done so professionally and it's really accessible. It just means that our son Joel um, has been able to enjoy church as well during this period. So thank you all so much. But the loss of coming physically to this building and worshipping and sharing with all of you has been a big one for me and I really do grieve it. But I do think my bathroom scales have probably thanked me, however, as I've missed out on four months of chocolate during the break. So, what on earth is going on? Has God gone AWOL during the last four months? Does he even care about this pandemic? Does it bother him that we haven't worshipped him corporately for four months? Does he hear our prayers? If he does, why does there feel like there's no end to this pandemic? What do we do when God feels absent. I'm not trying to be gloomy, and I really hope you guys stick with me. I'm aware that if I'm too negative, you could just turn another channel on. That's, that's fine. But I'm trying to be real. You know, some of you may not be experiencing these kind of emotions at all, and that's, that's fine. But for many, might, might, many of us might be able to understand where I'm coming from and may have asked these questions as well. I want you to know it's okay to ask these questions. So the title of this talk is, What Do We Do When God Feels Absent? Another way of putting it could be, what do we do if God feels silent? But I don't think God is ever silent. When it feels as if he is silent, we can always reflect on his word for encouragement, wisdom and direction. It might feel harder and it may still seem as if God is far away, but he has left us so much in his words that we can turn to. But I do think he can feel absent from our lives at times. Of course that isn't the case though, God is never absent from us. In Deuteronomy 31.8 in the Old Testament, Moses says this to his successor Joshua, do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. 
He will be with you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. And the author of Hebrews references this very scripture in chapter 13, uh, verse 5 of Hebrews as well in the New Testament. But when Moses says this phrase to Joshua in Deuteronomy, consider for just a moment all that they had gone through. God had used Moses to help the Israelites escape the life of slavery and oppression to the Egyptians, even parting the Red Sea. The Israelites then spent 40 years in exile in the desert, all the while receiving manna from heaven and water from a rock so that they wouldn't perish. Then a whole load of battles for territory and land, not to mention the endless complaining from the Israelites during this time in the wilderness. Then it became Moses' responsibility to provide laws and boundaries for this community of people to follow so that there's some form of structure and government to keep everyone safe and close to God. That's all just the snapshot of all that Moses has gone through. And you'd have to read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy to discover all of Moses' perilous and traumatic journey. But my point is that when Moses said to Joshua, he, as in God, pointing up because God's up there, isn't he? Um, Will neither fail you nor abandon you. He meant it. He knew it was true. And I just wonder if when Moses says, the Lord will personally go ahead of you, he was talking about the Red Sea. Was Moses saying he will literally go ahead of you and part an entire sea if he needs to? Another verse that illustrates that God can never be absent from you is found in Psalm 139, verse five, uh, 7 to 12, which says this, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness I cannot hide from you. To you the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. So if God can't be absent from our lives, why does it sometimes feel this way and what does that mean? Well, I'm afraid I might not have a definitive answer to give you um, as it's so often intertwined this topic with the subjects of suffering and it's probably not so easy to give such a concise answer in, in a short space of time. But we can start with what it doesn't mean and go from there. So firstly, if you're feeling as if God is absent right now, it doesn't mean you are not reading your Bible or praying enough. Honestly, I think if I hear that excuse given to someone one more time, I think I would struggle not to scream at them. Let me make something clear, though. I have often found that reading my Bible and praying does bring me peace, and it absolutely can alleviate my stress and bring me much-needed clarity and strength when I feel lost and weak. However, God is not waiting for you to rack up a certain amount of prayers and hours reading the Bible before he might speak to you. That just makes God seem petty and childish. I also know, however, of people who desperately seek God in prayer, only to still not feel they're close to him. You know, God is not formulaic. He's not a Rubik's cube that we've got to get exactly right just so that he will give you his presence. His presence is a gift. It's a gift. And secondly, if God feels absent, it does not mean he is withholding himself from us because we're riddled with sin. Um, I remember when I was in my late teens, I heard some teaching on sin and it, it really stuck with me for a while. Um, to cut a long story short, the teaching directly linked hearing from God to our confession of sin. 
So, for example, if you had unconfessed sin in your life, this may, God, may cause God to withhold his spirit from you and even cease to answer your prayers. And I never really questioned this teaching at the time, and, and nor did I perhaps look at it with a broader understanding of God's character, but I really became focused on confessing every single sin that I'd done so that I could potentially avoid any disruption in my relationship with God, even trying to think ahead to sins that I might commit in the future and get rid of them before I could lose connection with God. You know, so concerned had I become that I take on this unbalanced teaching that I neglected the other side of this teaching, which is grace. But God is certainly in the business of dealing with sin. That's correct. He does deal with sin. He takes it so seriously that he sent his only son to die on the cross so that we can be free from it. But when Jesus died on the cross, God dealt with sin once and for all. Every single sin for every single person throughout all the ages And I seem to have lost sight of this when I listened to this teaching all those years ago. I wasn't aware of it at the time, but I was in effect punishing myself. I'd gone down this path of believing that this is who God was, and it really disrupted my walk with God at the time. So if God was keen on withholding his presence from people because of the sin in their lives, confessed or unconfessed, then why would he send his son to Zai? It doesn't make sense. It seems clear now, and I only wish that I'd seen this and questioned it, um, this teaching all those years ago, but uh, that's the way it is, I guess. And I really did feel kind of sad to see similar teaching like this um, in an article online a few days ago. So this kind of stuff is still out there. But there are examples throughout the Gospels in the New Testament when Jesus appears to meet with people where they're at, warts and all, sin or no sin. In John 4, Jesus meets with a Samaritan woman by a well when he stops for a drink. And this woman, it turns out, has been married five times and is living with someone who's not her husband. However, Jesus spends time with her. He sits with her and acknowledges her lifestyle. And yet, it's not a barrier for what turns out to be a really extraordinary encounter. This woman is completely outcast by those in in the town that live close to her. But after speaking with Jesus, she becomes effectively a missionary to the entire town. Isn't that amazing? You know, her sin did not become a barrier between her and Jesus. Another example of sin not being a barrier can be found in Luke 23. And in this part of Luke's gospel, Jesus is dying on the cross next to two criminals. One of the men mocks Jesus, as all the soldiers had done, Uh, by saying this in verse 39 of chapter 23. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But there was another criminal and this man had a different attitude entirely. So it says, the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today you will be with me in paradise. So I do realise that they're obviously nailed to a cross, so it's not as if Jesus could run away if he was bothered by this man's sin, but it's his attitude that's interesting. Notice here that the one criminal who questions the first criminal's attitude, he doesn't confess his sin, he simply asks that Jesus remember him. You know, and who knows why Jesus assured this criminal of his salvation. Perhaps he could see that the criminal was repentant 
But one thing's for sure, sin is not a barrier to God's presence. God wants to connect with you, whether you are a Christian or not, sin or no sin. So just to recap, God will not withhold his presence from you because of sin, nor will he decide that you haven't prayed enough to be deserving of his presence. And let's face it, if those were his criteria, none of us would be worthy. And I'm also not sure I'd want to have too much to do with God if that's what he was like. This is not to say that God wants us to ignore sin or to ignore the things in our lives that might be causing ourselves or other people harm. He does, he absolutely does. But he also loves it when we connect with him in deep reflective prayer and he delights in us when we read our scriptures. I found scripture and prayer to be of really great comfort and support in my faith. But faith is not based on a point system where you must achieve a certain amount of points or a certain amount of prayers for him to give you his his presence so i'll say it one more time god's presence is a gift and he loves to give us good gifts so before i move on to what we can do to make a transition from feeling as if god is absent to feeling that he is right with us close to us then let me tell you why i think it's important we address this right now So I believe that the church is about to enter a season of action and justice. Why do I believe that? Why do I think that? Well, I'll tell you what I'm experiencing and maybe you'll see what I mean. I'm going to try and articulate this as best I can and and hopefully you'll, you'll see what I'm saying. But there seems to me to be a real great restlessness in our nation right now and I don't think it's Brexit and I don't think it's the pandemic that's done it. Um, it's, it's in other nations too. I think they have something to do with it, but I don't think that's the, the whole thing. But people are restless and agitated with what looks like great injustices in different areas, and it's making people really angry. It's making people angry at things which have got to change. And people are angry, um, including myself, that there's such a level of poverty in our country. It's completely unjust that children go hungry in the school holidays. How can such a wealthy place like the UK have such poverty? People are becoming angry at the lack of integrity shown by our politicians. And politicians have always lied and twisted the truth. Um, But for some reasons right now, it's making lots of people angry and restless for change. Our leaders are handing us rule after rule Um, hoping that we're going to follow them during this pandemic. And let's face it, we've probably all forgotten them at some point, yet they seem reluctant to follow the same rules at times. That makes people angry. Why are refugees being ignored in the way that they are? Thousands of people are displaced on our doorstep and nothing's being done. You know, I'm not saying anything new here, and I'm sure that you can think of your own examples of injustices being carried out all over the world, and I haven't got the time to mention them all here, But when emotion builds up in this way, when we get this kind of righteous anger, it creates a wave. It creates a movement, a shift. And we've seen it with the death of George Floyd and Black Lives Matter. And I'm sure we're going to see similar shifts. And when these waves of righteous anger and a desire to seek long-lasting change come, the church should be there leading the charge. I'm not sure what it looks like exactly, but justice is coming And God is bringing change and a change to circumstances that have been crying out for justice and action for decades. So I believe it is in issues of race, but I also sense that action and justice is coming for those subjected to sexual exploitation, abuse and slavery. 
God wants an end to these issues of sin that have been ignored for too long. So, if God is keen for actions of justice, wouldn't it be convenient for, us, for all of us to feel distant from God so that we might be ineffective? I'm not particularly one for giving the devil lots of credit for all the bad things that happen, but it's obvious to me, if we're all feeling fatigued, if we're all feeling and experiencing a disconnect with God, then the enemy has, has us right where he, wants, where he wants us, right in a place where we're ineffective. He wants us to be nice, fluffy, kind Christians that don't want to cause any trouble. He wants us lukewarm. God doesn't. God wants us to be ready and aggressive in ending injustices wherever we see them in Jesus' name. So what can we do to help us feel close to God again? How do we shift from absence and disconnection to closeness and intimacy with God? I feel that some of the answers can be found in Psalm 13. And um, I've definitely found real comfort in Psalms recently. They're really real They're gritty and they're full of wisdom and direction, which we all need right now. We need to be real and gritty and we also need wisdom and direction. So let's read the psalm together first and then I will pull out um, three points for us to reflect on. It wouldn't be a sermon without three points, of course, would it? So the psalmist here is David and he's written this at a time where he clearly feels withdrawn from God and God feels distant and David clearly is in a place where he thinks God hasn't answered his prayers. So let's read this Psalm 13 together. It says this, Oh Lord, how long will you forget me forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. Bit dramatic. Um, Don't let my enemies gloat, saying, we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. So there's three stanzas here. One point per stanza, so that works out really well. That's nice. Let's break this down stanza by stanza to see what strategies are within this. What can we do to connect with God when he feels absent? So firstly, open up to God and express exactly how you feel. Notice the tone here in verses one to two. David isn't holding back. He even looks, if I'm honest, to be a little bit rude in conveying the exasperation that he feels. Look at verse one, two again. It says, oh Lord, how long will you forget me forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? You know, to David, God is there, but he seems to have forgotten him. David feels as if God has turned the other way even. He's not even looking at David. And he feels a spiritual pain and a physical pain. He's got anguish in my soul and sorrow in my heart. You know, think about the trauma that that David must have gone through in order to get to this point. And the scripture doesn't make it clear exactly what has led David to feel this way, but it's, it's blindingly clear, isn't it, that David is desperate. He is desperate for God to know exactly how he feels. Now, sometimes I change my tone and my attitude when I pray. Um, I might adjust my language a little bit, not that I'm 
spouting swear words, but just the way I talk um, and talk sometimes a, a, to God as if he's my boss. Um, but he's not my boss. He's my heavenly father. But I certainly wouldn't talk to my boss the way that David talked to God there. That uh, I wouldn't be around very long if that was the case. But I want to feel close to God and I want to have intimacy. And if I'm to experience that, I need to be honest and authentic with him, especially if I feel he is absent or distant from me. And you might feel he is absent, but he isn't. And he wants to have that intimacy with you too. You don't need to think of the right words. You clearly, you don't need to wait even until you feel calm or ready. God isn't your head teacher or your boss. He's your loving heavenly father. So talk to him with authenticity and seek him in your desperation. He loves you and he wants to listen to you. So secondly, be specific and name what you need from him. So um, in November 2013, um, our landlady served as our notice, uh, not because we were naughty, um, but simply because she wanted to sell the property. You know, fair play, that's fine. So, um, <clears throat> so we moved out and it became possible for us to actually look to buy a property rather than rent um, again. So uh, we, we prayed about it and, and both Rachel and I felt as if it was right to ask God specifically for the kind of house that we were looking for. So we both named things that were important to us and asked God to provide that home for us. But I do want to make it really clear that we didn't make demands to God like spoiled children that have wild expectations. Neither of us were asking for mansions because we can't afford it. Um, but we prayed and we both sensed that God was asking us to be specific. We both felt he was saying, tell me exactly what you need. Tell me what you need. And this is what David does here in verses three and four. He says, Turn and answer me, O Lord, my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat, saying we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. David wants God to answer him. Turn and answer me, O Lord, my God. There's an exclamation point, so he's clearly shouting. He means business. He's not messing around, but he is being um, specific with his demands. And it does read like a demand, doesn't it? Turn and answer me, O Lord. And again, David comes across almost kind of rude. Maybe that's because I'm British and everything's rude. Um, but he's direct, he's specific. He names precisely what he wants God to do. How often do we pray like this? You know, maybe not that often, but I'll bet some of us have got to this place. We've prayed this way where we're, and we've got to this place where we're completely desperate. We need God to directly answer something right now. And I wonder how many times God might have presented his requests, sorry, David might have presented his requests to God only for him to feel as if he's got nowhere. And I suspect this is why David is praying this way. If you feel God is absent in your life for whatever reason, tell him specifically what you want to change. Tell him specifically what you want. Say to him something like, God, I don't feel I know you anymore. Where are you? Is it me? Have I done something wrong? Please tell me, I, I need your presence. Please let me know your presence. Please don't leave me feeling as if you're absent and disinterested in my circumstances. Come Lord Jesus and be with me. Don't make me wait. I really need you in my life. I'm not sure it's exactly and only the specificity that God needs, because that would make a relationship with God formulaic again. But I do think that God loves it when we're hungry for him. He loves it when we're desperate. He loves us when we, we want um, 
to be with him and we tell him plain exactly what we want. You know, nothing makes me happier as a dad than when my, my son Joel says, Daddy, come and play with me. Come, come here and read this book. Come here and play with this toy. You be Woody and I'll be Buzz. You know, I love that my son wants to be close to him. And it's the same with God. Tell him what you need and show him how much you desire his presence. Finally, we're nearly there. Finally, remember God's goodness. Remind yourself of testimonies that you have or times where you've witnessed God very close to you. We serve a good God who is loving and kind. And uh, David does this. He does this kind of thing in verses five and six. He says this, but I trust, but, that's the, that's the word, isn't it? But despite all this, I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. You know, David's recalling a time where God did rescue him and he knows and trusts that God can and will do it again. And it stands to reason that if you're aware that God feels absent in your life, it's because at one time you felt close to him and you just yearn for that closeness again. I know I've been there and um, I often reflect on times when I would feel God so close to me that I was so aware of his presence and it's good to reflect on those moments when your circumstances bring you to a place where you may not feel God so close to you. I just love this psalm because it, it includes a lot of lament and anguish and it also includes praise and recognition of God's goodness. Doesn't that just sum life up? You know, sometimes life is crummy. This, this year so far has been rubbish for a lot of us. Um, but it's peaks and trough because sometimes life is full of love and joy and goodness. I remember during the peak of the pandemic, um, I was just really desperate to spend time with my parents and my brothers and my in-laws again. Um, you know, not to say I was sick of um, Joel and Rachel because that wasn't the case, but we're a really tight family and we love spending time together. So it was really hard to have so much time apart, not able to see them all. And it was even harder because we all live so close. I'm sure you guys have probably experienced that same kind of difficulty. And during those times, I had to reflect on those times we have shared as a family on Christmases and parties and holidays and know that those days are coming again. I also had to share and remember gratitude and thank God for what I did have. So I did have a roof over my head. I did have food on the table, a garden to, to sit in, clothes on my back and clean water at the turn of a tap. And that just really helped me to shift my perspective and prove to be pivotal in helping me feel really close to God again, just at a point where he felt distant and absent. I just love that our prayer life can be so crammed full of emotion. We can be full of lament and praise all at the same time. And we're capable of feeling all those emotions all at once, aren't we? And I love that we serve a God that can listen to all of that and make sense of it all at the same time. Not only can he listen to it, but he loves it when we're honest and open with him. Being honest is important, but we must also look to gratitude and rejoicing in God's goodness too. It will enable us to have soft hearts, which we really need. So let's, let's recap. Let's hold on to all of this as we move forward. Feeling as if God is absent can be a really lonely, desperate place, but we serve a gracious God that can handle our emotions and anguish. He just loves listening to us, even if we're angry and full of pain. 
Tell him exactly how you feel. He doesn't want us to hide anything from him. He wants us to be clear, authentic and real. Our God is a mighty God. He loves it when we're desperate and hungry for him and when our hunger leads us to a place of naming specifically what we need. God loves it when we tell him how he can help us. He's a loving father that gives good gifts. He isn't absent and he wants to be intimately involved in our lives. And maybe we feel as if God is absent because we've forgotten his goodness to us in the past. Sometimes we can become prone to bitterness and frustration. I know I can, I do it all the time. But I want to make it a habit to include thanksgiving in my prayers, rejoicing in the good things that God has given me. By doing that, I'm not, I'm not ignoring my problems that, that I want to address and I'm not ignoring any reasons that I feel God is distant from me but um, and reflecting on God's goodness when we feel pain doesn't just paper over the cracks but this psalm that we've just read shows us that God wants to he wants us to reveal our pain he wants to hear that from us first but by recognizing God's goodness we are maturely refocusing our perspective back on God's character, back on who we really know God to be. And it then ensures that we're leaving our hearts in a better place at the end than when it was at the beginning. So if you feel God is absent in your life right now, you're not alone, definitely not alone. And you might find some of these points useful. Um, Don't hide it. And I'm just going to pray right now to finish. But after I pray, in just a second, you're going to have an opportunity to uh, join our ministry team on Zoom. And um, it it might help process some of these things. There's lots of different things going on, um, lots of emotions. And our prayer team would just love to um, sit and pray with you. Okay, let's pray. Father God, we just want to thank you for the Psalms. We just want to thank you that the Psalms are full to the brim um, with emotion, with real emotion, with pain, with people who want to express exactly how they feel. They don't want to hold anything back and they don't want to pretend that everything's okay and neither do we. We don't want to feel like everything's okay because right now it just doesn't really feel that way. So Holy Spirit, would you just come now? Holy Spirit, we pray and I ask that your presence would be with every single person watching this now on YouTube or on Facebook. And Lord, that your spirit would rest heavily on them and just bring them peace. Lord, that you would work with us through these emotions, work with us as we try to make sense and understand what on earth is going on in our world. Help us to try and deal with these things and embrace them. And Lord, help us to just be aware of what you're doing and to always end in a place where we focus on your goodness, not to kid ourselves that the, word is, that the world is struggling, but to focus on who you are so that we're ready, so that we're ready to fight injustices around the world wherever we see them. And we just ask this in your name, Lord. Amen. Thank you.